This episode is brought to you by Patreon, specifically the Comic Pop Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash comic pop and find out more about how you can keep the lights on here at Comic Pop. And don't worry, we've got plenty of fun rewards, including early access to videos and weekly updates about what's happening here at the studio. That's patreon.com slash comic pop. All right, let's get on with the show now. Sweeping down upon the underworld to smash gangland comes a friend of the unfortunate, enemy of criminals. A mysterious, all-powerful character, a problem to the police. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Elseworlds Exchange. I am Sal. Joining me now, right now, is Tiffany. And, of course, uh, we're talking about the realm of uh, adventure and imagination, so I thought we'd bring in an expert on the subject, at least as far as I'm concerned, and that is The Bard has returned. Welcome, Bard. Hey, you. Thank you. It's grand to be here once more in your lens, well, imaginary lens of electric podcastery, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about D&D. That's right. We are uh, finally going to discuss Dungeons & Dragons. This has been a long time coming. We've been hoping to launch into an episode just exclusively talking about D&D, the Bard and I have, uh, for months now. And yeah, terrible. I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, it's wonderful because now it's finally happening, so we can get into it. Um, yep. Now, okay, uh... We've talked about, uh, off-camera, that is, our favorite editions. My favorite edition is none, because my experience <laughs> is so little that I have played fourth, I have played third, and I think I've played a little bit of fifth, but very, very minimally. So, uh, but Bard, you have a very uh, strong opinion, I believe, about which Whoa. edition is best, I guess we could say. I, I'm not going to call it the best I am going to say that it's my favourite. Okay. It's, Dungeon, it's Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition, and I'm a bit of an advocate for this edition. Okay. Mm. Uh, well, uh, especially these days. I don't think it gets... It, I don't think it gets played enough. Mm. And it, it, there is something of a bit of an... I've heard it called an old-school revival going on, people playing older editions of D&D. Mm. And 2nd Edition is in kind of a weird spot, or so it seems to me, in that it's... Um, it's too old hat for for really modern gamers to to really understand, but it lacks all of the the simplicity and the basicness of the really older editions or the basic editions, okay. call them, mm-hmm. which actually aren't older, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, so it kind of gets glossed over sometimes, except for a few who are into second editions' particular flavour, and I am, and it, I, I quite often like to think, or quite often like to expose its virtues to anyone who will listen. So. That's well, my position on the matter. Well, I'm <laughs> listening. So uh, we've experienced D and D a little bit. Uh, Tiffany, what, what's your? What, well, let's let's get into what's your preferred version, and then we'll see what the what the comparisons are. Okay. Um, so I've played 3.5, and um, just putting it out here, that was the worst experience. It was my first experience, and it was the worst experience I've ever had playing D and D. First and worst. Nice. Um, and and there was a moment where I was like, I'm never going to play this game again. Um, <laughs> And I gave it another try, and still wasn't my cup of tea. I glossed completely over four and went right into five. And I love five. I love everything about five. Um, I like that they pared a lot of things down from the last time that I had played. Um, And they made it more about the storytelling, Mm. which was apparently what I was looking for in the first place. Other than that, though, I haven't really played any of the earlier stuff. However, I have played plenty of MMOs, a lot of early MMOs, that were based very much on early D&D. So I feel like I have some sort of, you know, like spiritual connection 
to them without a full understanding of them. Okay. All right. You tasted <laughs> the flavor of the olden days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, even my even my experience with MMOs is the earliest. I never I, I played WoW maybe once or twice, mm-hmm. but uh, I did play a lot of Ultima online when I was a kid. Yeah, and that's really one of the big three. It was Ultima, Asheron's Call, and EverQuest. Right. And EverQuest was where it was at for me. <laughs> ah, there we go. I'm also very fond of EverQuest. One day we should talk about EverQuest. Yes, Indeed, we, should we do absolutely also. should. You played it for a good like couple of years. I right? played it for well, quite a long time. <laughs> My experience with EverQuest is much less than yours, then. Oh! I, I played it for one month. Really? Really? Wow! It, was, it made such an impression on me that yes. I've never quite let go of it. And I still, to this, to this day, will compare MMOs to it. I'm, Generally in a negative light. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the same. approaches them. I'm absolutely yeah. the same way. I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, it may have been difficult and frustrating at some times, but nothing has ever lived up to those days, that, that stress, that anger, that success, the triumph, yeah. <laughs> people people call it difficult and obtuse, or, or, or what, or, sorry, it doesn't matter. People call it tricky <laughs> and frustrating. I call that adventure. Yeah, mm. absolutely. That's, oh, there is no MMO except for other old hat ones that competes for the sheer, oh, I don't know what you'd call it, nail-biting terror of getting lost in Kithikor woods. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not you're not the right level, you're too low level. Yep. That's that's a real survival game. Oh, yeah. This is the thing I always say. That's a real survival game. Oh. It's not about hunger meters and thirst meters. Nope. It's about being in the wilderness. Yes. Trying to get out and trying trying to survive in some way. Absolutely. That's so good. Yes. <laughs> now would you say oh, that Oh, I was going to say, would yeah. you say your early EverQuest could compare to the to uh to earlier expansions or earlier versions of Dungeons and Dragons? As a matter of fact, I think it does have a fairly strong comparison. It's not direct comparison, not really, mm-hmm. but um, it, it does have a strong early or mid-period D&D flavor. So I, I split the history of D&D up into basically three eras. Okay. Uh, there's the olden days or the archaic era, which starts <laughs> in 1974 and ends in 77. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was only one version of D&D back then that sprang from chain mail. It was called Dungeons and Dragons. And then in 1977, suddenly we had two. We had Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, yep. also known as AD&D First Edition. And we also had uh, 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 a revised variant of the olden style, which changed lots of basically a new edition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we had these two veins of D&D up until the year 2000, and that's the second period. That's the grand age to me, mm. the grand age of D&D. <laughs> and then in 2000, third edition came along, and then there was only one true canon version of D&D that was being supported. Mm. Yes. But uh, it's not as if these games go away when a new edition comes along. If you've got your books or any kind of you know, reproduced version, you can still play it, and people do still play it. And as I said, there's some sort of revival going on with the earlier editions, which I wish I was more involved in than I am. <laughs> I was gonna ask, uh, do do you currently play D and D, and if so, which version do you do you play? Well, tricky question because I don't currently play, but I am currently uh, making a game for a second edition campaign that I would like to start, and I don't have any players for it yet. Oh, okay. This is pie in the sky thing that sometimes old old uh, dungeon masters do as they start designing a campaign, even though they don't even want to play. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing right now. Oh, and it's okay. a product of looking at my old books again and going through them and thinking, gee, I'd really love to play this version of D&D again. Mm. Right. Yeah. 
my uh, my only experience with well my first experience with role playing games at all I was very uh, I'm I when I was growing up my sword and sorcery experiences were limited to He Man and that was kind of it <laughs> uh, so I was very like kind of I did I didn't lean towards the 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 concept of Dungeons and Dragons but I did play the Star Wars RPG when uh, oh, yeah. it, I think in like two thousand three or four I played that one and I was enthralled with it. I didn't even know I was interested in it, but seven hours had gone by without my even recognizing it, and I was like, I have to leave. I'm gonna die. Like, I, I haven't moved in mm -hmm. seven hours, but I've gone on so many adventures, and it's fantastic. Like, I still refer to it as my, as my like, epic D&D &D or uh, role-playing game experience, and it was only one game. <laughs> um, but, uh... Was it a computer game you're talking no, about? No, no, I'm talking about a like, tabletop... Pen and, uh, pen and paper, like six or seven different role, like different players. Uh, high. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, high role playing stakes. I had to. I was a smuggler. I had to seduce uh, a baroness of her, like, uh, and, and plant a thermal detonator somewhere. It was just. It was very ridiculous. Exciting. Uh, but it was exciting. I was surprised. I had always kind of like. Because my friends, uh, when I was growing up, were very much into role playing, but of the live action variety. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, that was something that I tried once, and then ran into a bear, and then never tried again. And so, as such, I thought eh, maybe maybe the wilderness, the fictional wilderness, is more from more, more my speed. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons or ro of role playing games in general, that's what really always catches, always uh, hooks me up. Like I'm always uh, hamstrung by the the mechanics or the the. The mathematical quality to it um, mm. is that because I haven't found the right edition, or is that because I'm I, I am a dummy? <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's because you're a dummy. Okay, edition does play a lot into it because when yes. you first approach D and D, no matter what edition, um, there's a really good chance the mechanics are going to hit you in the face very hard. Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter how basic you get either. You, you're going to come across tables and numbers and and, and so forth. With I'm, luck, when it's your first time, you'll be with a table of people who know the game quite well. Then. Yes. And uh, the me mechanics are important, and, and if you don't enjoy playing with those mechanics, you're not going to enjoy the game. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. That's that's why some people like some editions and they don't like other editions. And yes. mm. it's true. And I think for you, because the first time that you played D and D was also three point five. Yes. And I can tell you right that now. Was weak. D depending on the background you come from, I think makes a huge difference too. Because while I didn't really enjoy it, I had a little bit of an easier time than you did. You did. But I had played a lot of MMOs. I played a lot of fantasy RPGs where I was used to seeing some of these terms, some of the the ideas behind it. Because of course, D and D made such a mark on the world that you find it in all elements of pop culture. Um, yeah. So I think without that background, you, it was a little more difficult for you to, to just kind of jump into it because it was so rule heavy. It was, it was very rule so heavy. many skills. It was like the menu was endless on what you could choose. Yeah, and thankfully, uh, because Tiffany was the DM at the time. No, it wasn't for that. Was that, that was Ben. Oh, that's right, it was Ben. You made <laughs> Tiffany made a whole bunch of note cards with all of our spells and all of our modifiers <laughs> on them. And they, were, and they were color coded and. <laughs> Like, that was, in and of itself, still frustrating because I had to root through my cards, mm -hmm. but I'm thankful I had them because you just went through the books and you copied out, of, like, the spells from the books about, like, what, what class we were and what level we were at and stuff like that. So that was a, that was a huge help, <laughs> and it was still a hindrance for me to play that game. Um, uh, second edition didn't have that particular problem. Now I'm asking, had, yeah. 
it had weird mechanics in it and it was quite rules heavy in its own way but a lot of the the most basic stuff you need to know is is very uh, easy to learn it's just uh, it's very apparent hmm. but at the same time modern gamers think about old editions of D&D and my major amount of experience with older editions is with second edition like I've never played the first edition of AD&D really? so I can't really talk about that <laughs> no it was it was well before my time well sure I, I'm not I'm not implying uh, you're, you know you're, you're, you're older but uh, I know I've never played it just never had occasion to like I've read the books and everything sure and I think it's it sounds like this grand edition and I'd love to play it one day <laughs> but I've never played it mm. um, it would be very difficult for a modern player who is coming from say post third edition D&D any variety to approach the second edition because the circumstances they're approaching it with are so different to the ones that we approached it with back in the day because not only has the environment of games changed um, the zeitgeist of, of how role playing games are played has mm. actually changed and the what uh, the nature of fantasy fiction that has changed to its flavour has changed as well so you have to sort of you can't just go into it raw and expect the the addition to be good you kind of got to meet it halfway in its own context it's like me trying to appreciate um watchman sal i think yeah we about this one day it's true but yeah I, I can't really appreciate why watchman is important intellectually i can know that it is because people can tell me and explain why sure but unless i'm in the 80s or, or I don't know when it came out exactly. Yeah, it was 86. I'm there in the environment of comics at the time, right. reading this landmark thing that comes out. I won't have the experience of why it's important. I won't feel it. Well, sure. It's, it's a deconstruction, yeah. and, that, and if you don't know what it's deconstructing or even no experience with it, then it's then it's just gonna yeah. it's just gonna be a uh, on its own. It's not gonna have any transcendence. Um, yeah. So with with second edition, uh, what are some things that you would say stand out compared to? Like a, a more modern edition. All right. Well, for a start, <laughs> if a modern gamer picked it up, they'd read a little bit and then they'd they'd probably say, "What? <laughs> I mean, I have to I have to qualify to be an elf. I can't just choose." Really? Okay. Ooh. And if I'm an elf, I can't be a like I can't be a paladin. What? <laughs> They're going to be very confused about certain things that um, are traditional to the game up to that point, and which really reflect quite strongly. Uh, sort of the, the fantastic imagination at the time and mm. and uh, the way high fantasy was perceived by players of this game and in literature even at that time. Um, it's going to be quite jarring. But at the same time, it's... Um, oh, hang on. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. It's going to be uh, quite jarring for, for, for modern players to try and get a grip on some of the things because they will only see limitations. They will only see things being taken away from them. Mm. And that's why when 5th edition came out and it was championed as kind of a throwback to the olden days, I kind of complained because it had too much stuff in the core book that I didn't think should be there. Mm. And and I I can't I can't express enough how important it is for D&D to be kind of stripped back from what it is. This is one of the things I hate about modern editions is that they've got too much stuff in there. Like, why is there Typhlings in the core book and those dragon men which are there for some reason? I forget their name, Dragonborn. Yes, yes. Dragonborn. And even even monks, like stuff that was in the first edition of AD&D, uh, the monk was there. and uh, But it wasn't in second edition. This is why I think second edition uh, is a representation of Dungeons & Dragons when its identity as a game and its identity as a um, an expression of, of high fantasy 
themes was at its strongest at the time. And certainly I think its version of the various classes are the, at their strongest in second edition, and they've only got weaker and more dilute mm. since. And if you compare it to third edition, we come across third edition as an edition that for the first time, classes suddenly became mechanically difficult to play. Mm-hmm. If you compare the first edition, I mean the second edition fighter with the third edition fighter, all of a sudden the third edition fighter is a complete mess that can break down if you make the wrong choices in feat selection, mm. which is why I kind of hate feats. I hate having to <laughs> build a character instead of being a character. Mm. So you've got to spend all this time as a character that you don't want to be or that you didn't envision trying to build the the one you're actually fantasizing about or fantasizing as playing instead of just starting as them, which is what you kind of do in second edition. Mm. So it's quite clear that there was a, a a huge shift in the philosophy of role-playing design in the, the halls of Wizards of the Coast when the third edition came out. And also in the philosophy of play. Do you think it's just because they wanted it to be more accessible, or do you think that they just got ahead of the, like they got they they got in their own way? Well, Wizards didn't write um, the second edition. Now I can't obviously speak to what happened in the company, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. But se- second or or uh, why it was written this way, I don't know what was mandated by editorial or some overseers to the designers because I I respect the designers of all the editions basically very 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 um, very highly because mm-hmm. it's. it's it's no mean feat to design a game like Dungeons and Dragons. No. Any, <laughs> yeah. any flavor. Uh, but there is such a gulf in the philosophy between second edition and third edition that I have to believe that um, that Wizards... Actually, I think I can draw a comparison. Okay. And that's... If you look at the fighter and its feats, trying to build a fighter over his whole career, over, say, the 20 levels, isn't that different when you think about it to trying to make a deck of... Magic the Gathering cards. Because mm. you've sort of got to sort through the feats, find out which ones work well together, and you've got to find out the, the broken ones, like the trap choices that are in there that don't really work and that you shouldn't take. And it's impossible to just be a fighter, which traditionally is the most basic and easygoing class mechanically. It's usually my fight, my class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, it's a complete mess. And I didn't realise this until a friend of mine said, said to me, I was when I was running games of 3rd edition, he said, you know, you probably shouldn't suggest fighter for new players. It's really, it really takes a lot of forethought and advanced game knowledge to do it properly without mm. ruining the class within a couple of levels. <laughs> and I thought about it and he was right. Mm. He was absolutely right. Because I played 3rd edition for a long while. I ran sessions of it for years. And even during that point, I remember, it's not easy to admit, but back then I thought second edition was rubbish. I'd come from second edition and I'd embraced third edition a little while after its release. Mm. And I'd sit around with people and I'd have a laugh at second edition and its list of pole arms and its Thacko rule. <laughs> we we yes. all have a, a huge laugh about it. And and I'd just, I'd accept basically as, as received wisdom that third edition was better mechanically and that it was better in, in uh, thematically just because people said so, and I'd sort of suppress what I was really thinking or mm-hmm. what I was really feeling. And I remember, I don't remember exactly when this happened, but it was um, sometime much later, I was clipping through the book, and the, uh, the thought just popped into my head and probably into my mouth. I turned the page and just said, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I, hate, I hate it. 
<laughs> I, did, I was I was done with it. all the things that I didn't like about it. It's weird mechanics. It's over infusion of mechanics in areas where it should be much more simple. I just stopped playing. I stopped playing. Oh, wow! And in recent years, I went back and had a look at D and D Second Edition. This was back when uh, the first beta versions of the fifth edition becoming it when it was called D&D Next and my friend got a, a beta version of playing that. Yeah. And that's when the comments about it being a bit of a throwback were really true. And I, w- I was all, ha-ha, second, you don't want to really play second edition. Those rules were rubbish. <laughs> and I, I went back to my second edition books ostensibly to laugh at how old-fashioned it was and I found, no, this is actually the way I wanted to do it all along. It's been here all along. Mm. These, these rules that I like. Because if I wanted to run something really old-fashioned with 5th edition D&D, with 5th edition players, I could never do it. Like, I could never say to them, like, halflings can only be fighters and thieves. Right. Or, okay. Or, and clerics. Like, I can't... Because all I would be doing is taking away from the game they play. Whereas if I wanted to run a more modern version of D&D with 2nd edition, all I'm doing is giving. Right. But I'm giving. That's why I think... D&D kind of has this duty to be the cornerstone of role-playing, which it is, because even today people find role-playing and Dungeons & Dragons as terms but basically synonymous. D- exactly. D&D, they'll say, still, even even today. And I think D&D has a duty to be as easy for people to accept as possible. And, and what I mean by that is that when a new player or prospective player comes along and says, well, D&D, what's that all about? You should be able to say something like, "Well, you know, Lord of the Rings." Right. It's like that. You can yeah. do that, yeah. <laughs> but when you say something like, "Well, you know, Lord of the Rings," it's like that, except, and the more that comes after the except is a problem. And I think all the weirder stuff that they like to put in, extra planar stuff like yeah. half demon characters, yeah, some of the some of the class changes and, and things like that should be in expanded edition. Like I haven't got any problem with it being in the game. But it should be in um, source books and extra parts and whatnot. And the core experience should be as default, plain Jane, generic fantasy as possible because you can only go up from there. You can only expand out from there. And if that's what you want, you have to take away from it. Yeah. No, it's it's true. And I often wonder because I... I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but third edition was really Wizards of the Coast first foray into making their kind of their putting their mark on on D and D. Correct. It was. Um, it was. So and of course that that of course comes in the 90s. Everything's more extreme. Everything's more cutting edge at that point. Um, and and I feel like now for them for for them to include something like the Tiefling, for them to include something like the Dragonborn, I think we have to blame partially that's their choice, but also. They constantly have the uh, to listen to their public's feedback. They have it coming at them from all angles. Now it used to be you could just send a letter, and that was kind of the end of it. Mm-hmm. But they're hearing it everywhere. I, I bet that those are fan favorites, and of course they want to play to their current audience while hoping to expand their you know their audience to the to the new player to yeah. to, to someone who's a new adventurer. Um, but I, I wonder if they feel more beholden to doing what the players want. Or what as they a, think the players want. Yes, as opposed to what they think might be best. Mm. Or what will make them look good. Right. Well, there's a really interesting indicator of this in the 5th edition core rules. When you look at the, the race listings and you go to elf, what's the, the example picture there? It's a dark elf. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, it, this is unheard of in 
D&D era when they were just like the enemy and you could play as them if your DM decided and you had like the, the book with maybe the rules or made up your own rules. You know, no problem. Mm-hmm. No problem with them being there. Right. Well, now it's, it's so weird because the, the Dark Elf traditionally is the exception to the rules. Mm-hmm. The Dark Elf hero. That's why Drist is such a an interesting character. Yes. And um, for them to just put that as not just an example of a kind of elf you can play but the flagship. This yeah. is... Bang, the elf. Yes. This is what you think of. Uh, the example art in that in the fifth edition book leaves a lot to be desired. I don't want to harp on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. It's, it's funny too because when you say that that it's you know it's a dark elf and you mention Dritz, of course it is him. Yes. And they make sure it to is. let you know that, which is in and of itself brilliant marketing. Yeah. Because I could go and I can Google him and I'd be like, oh, and you can, and now I can read all their adventures. <laughs> but it also takes away from the ability for you to ascribe yourself a character when yep. the default character is someone else who has already gone on many adventures. It's not you being able to project yourself onto a template and then imagine the adventures you're going on. Exactly. I, I don't know, honestly, offhand, if there are really any other characters uh, whose portraits are named specifically or yeah. if it's just dritzed. Mm. They're like, there you go. Here he is. Go look him up, ladies. <laughs> um, I mean, overall, I, I have always thought, even before I ever played D&D, that, that D&D was this grand story. Like, once I got past the whole, like, stereotype of it, the stereotyping of a bunch of people playing in a basement, yes. and it just being, like, arguing, I was like, I had this whole other idea in my head where I was like, oh... It's storytelling. It's it's an opportunity to play the games I like to play digitally, but with my friends in the same room and like have this adventure together. And then you plop down something like 3.5 or third edition, right. and all of a sudden it I miss the computer that's running my game doing all the math for me. Yeah. Because now I'm stopping and being like, okay, wait, hang on, I have to check like seven different modifiers. And I have to check what the skill actually does and what its save is and if there's any sort of special effects on it. And it just stops being my adventure and starts being a lot of work. And as soon as something starts to be that much work, I, for me, it ceases to be fun. Yeah. You would love second edition <laughs> if, if you've got a good in- intro to it. Or even the basic version. But second edition is good. You know, I'm sure you've heard of Thacko. Yes. I, I googled it recently because you mentioned it. You mentioned Thacko and I was... Mm-hmm. People- People it, make fun of Thacko all the time. It sounds horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. It's not intuitive. Like, there's nothing about the word Thacko which lets you derive what it actually is. No. Like, like armor class where it kind of indicates maybe the purpose of this rule. Mm-hmm. Thacko is an acronym, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. That means two-hit armor class zero. Yes. Which is another thing that baffles outsiders to the second edition <laughs> game or, or the earlier versions. Your armor class is better as the number gets lower. Right. This makes perfect sense to me. I, th- this has never challenged me conceptually. <laughs> People talk about it like it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. Well, I guess I'll get into that. Yeah, but, let's hear it. Uh, with Thacko, uh, it's actually a secretly brilliant rule. Because when you play any of these modern versions, when you roll the dice as a player, you say, all right, I attack. You roll your dice. Mm-hmm. What have you got to do? You've got to add this this modifier. You've got a base attack bonus at least, or a proficiency bonus, or whatever it is these days. Mm-hmm. You got to add add on. Then you add any situational modifiers, and, and and so forth. The beauty of Thacko, right, is for a start, it's it's a simple rule to understand. All you do is subtract the armor class of the the enemy from your your Thacko number to get the number you roll to hit. 
it's really simple. And the best thing that makes it even more simple is that you don't even have to worry about it. There is only one person at the table who worries about Thacko ever, and that's the dungeon master. Mm. All you do is you roll and you look at the number. You don't add anything because you're Thacko, which is an indicator of how good you are as a warrior. Right. Basically, it's 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 just like the inverse of the base attack bonus sort of numerically. Okay. It means the same thing. It's how skilled you are in combat at the, the fighting stuff. That's what Thacko is. You roll and you you look at the number and the dungeon master will say you hit or you miss. Oh, well, he won't say it that simply. He'll probably say your sword glances off <laughs> your shield and <laughs> or something exciting like right. that. Exactly. But in, in purely mechanical terms, it, it's either a success as an attack or it's a, or it's a fail as an attack. Um, and you don't have to worry about anything. And how great is this for beginners? Yeah. 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 And as, as they level up, they don't have to add more numbers. But by, say, rolling a 14, like two levels ago, that 14 would have missed. But now, with the Thacko improved, presumably through leveling, uh, your 14 is better, and it will hit tougher opponents. Hmm. So your, your worst rolls get better, and you don't have to worry about adding a bunch of numbers on. This is the most beautiful thing about Thacko, is players don't have to worry about it at any level. Eventually, they'll learn that how the rule works. Because they have to write their Thacko on the character sheet and sometimes it's actually Thacko. Because <laughs> it's derived from basic edition and the earliest editions, which didn't have Thacko. They had a chart which listed your your class mm-hmm. and what you needed to roll to hit every armor class, basically, at that level. Wow. Yeah. And people simplified it to Thacko. Okay. Where you, all you had to know was that one number anyway to extrapolate the rest. So... You didn't have to worry about it. And um, descending armor class it, it also confuses people. But I think it's brilliant because, well, for a start, it's thematically brilliant because would you rather, given the choice, would you rather fly second class or first class? Which one's better? First, oh, class. first class, of course. <laughs> of course. It, so if, you, if your armor class is 10, that's 10th rate protection, basically. No protection. It's just you and your wits. Mm-hmm. Right. Sal and I, assuming we were average men, got into a fist fight, we'd have about an average chance, you would assume, 50-50 mechanically, uh-huh. of hitting each other. That's that's Thacko, because we don't have any extra protection. Our dex bonus probably doesn't amount to much. Right. right. I can't I can't speak for Sal, but mine doesn't amount to much. Yeah, you're pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, the lower you get, uh, you can think of it in, 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 in those terms. And I think it's extrapolated from old battleship um, rules, not not the board game battleship, but ah. old war gaming battleship rules where armor was referred to by class, like that's first class armor. Right. Mm. Okay. And of course, when you're a beginner, it makes a lot of sense when it's first explained to you because, of course, third class armor would be better than fifth class armor, and of course, first class armor would be better than everything. Of course, that's the best armor. And then you'll hear about armor class zero because there's this Thacko rule. Zero! How good must that be? Right. Right? This. There's an armor class zero, and then all of a sudden, what's that monster's armor class? Negative three? <laughs> Negative? <laughs> what? It, when I was first starting in second, it blew my mind that you could get negative, not just zero, but negative. Mm. And this is why it matters, okay? Because zero is such a beautiful numeral to act as a boundary between the mundane and the special. Mm. See, with first-class armor, it's expected that you'll eventually get there. You'll, or if you're a warrior, you'll probably wind up with big plate mail and you'll be fine. And that's that's really good armor. But when you come to zero, 
and you come to the negatives, you've crossed over into another realm of 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 armor that's that's really special. It feels special should you get there. You know, because you're not just first class, you're in the negatives, you're beyond first. You're right. in the realm. <laughs> so it's not so much that it is because it really is just an inverse of raising your, your class. It's it's like having a like a plus twenty, but instead it's going in the other direction. But it ascribes meaning to numbers as opposed to just saying, I have an arbitrary increase in my armor bonus. Right, which I mean yeah. players love that in yeah. a way. Like there are plenty of people now and I'm sure people who are playing MMOs that came between second edition and third edition who are used to like, well I gotta get the best gear because I gotta have the highest numbers because when I go and, and like, you know, do a, a run of some kind, like those monsters are going to be even higher level and I can then say like, my armor class is like 200, My, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's... It, you, you're creating artificial importance on uh -huh. a number, arbitrary importance on numbers that, mm -hmm. you know don't have any importance or specialness except with you oh. as opposed to with Thacko and like I'm not necessarily saying it's the best but I am saying that the benefit at least as far as the bard's concerned is that the benefit is uh, that it's a, it uses a commonality of language everyone ag agrees with wh why certain levels are special and what is good versus less good or more good yeah yeah well, uh, it's it's evident Compare it to the third edition, where, of course, you know, 20 comes after 19, but it's just a number. It's, it's not zero. Right. You know, it's not it's not a special number that sits on the boundary between these two, the positive and negative realm, if you want to think of it. <laughs> That's that. true. <laughs> you don't have to think of it that way. All it means is that it's a dividing line between ordinary and really special. Right. Mm. And, of course, 21 comes after 20, big deal. Yeah. It just means my armor's better. Yeah. So what do you want? Yeah, and but like I, players love that. They really, really do. And I often wonder if Wizards' own experience with Magic: The Gathering, and of course, you're always looking for the like the seven-seven creature with flying. You know, like you want the bigger numbers, and you want to be able to pull those out of your deck. And you know, like it's that mentality of bigger is better. Bigger yeah. will always be better. And maybe I can use strategy in some way to defeat you know, the Goliath on the field, but more than likely the person with the larger army, the stronger army, is going to win. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, well, bigger is better, but better is also better on its own. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I don't think the difference has actually got to do with increasing numbers. I think it's just getting better because we had the same feeling back then when our armor class was getting lower. Right. Negative one. Walk in, we'd say. <laughs> negative it was a big day when you got to negative one. Right. <laughs> no, I, I completely understand that, but I wonder if, because again, these guys now, like, Wizard of the Coast, they're a company. You know what I mean? They've got a marketing team. They've got people who got to, who have to come and say, how, how do, do I sell this? How thing? do I sell negative one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and without harder. comparing it to golf. <laughs> right? And like, so I think that this is where, and this happens to a lot of companies, where suddenly we have to make money. We have to sell a product. So it, it becomes this, like, fight between, like, well, players get it. People who play it now, they understand it. They know what it means. It, it's it's a good product to, but I can sell a big number. It's accessibility versus sellability. Yes. I don't hold with ruminations on cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am so cynical when it comes to marketing. But part of that is because I work with marketers. Uh, so. yes. <laughs> I'll give you another angle. I'll, I'll give you another possibility. Well, maybe it's not an isolated. These things probably happened at the same time. Mm -hmm. Third edition, 
was also praised because it got all the numbers going in the same direction. Because mm. you see, for some parts of second edition, the higher number is better. Right. The higher strength is more. Right. But your armor class, it's lower is better. Is that it? A lot of new <laughs> newcomers did get caught up on this sort of mm. right. thing. Lower is better here, but it's not better here. Why? Mm. Why can't it all just be higher? Because they they'd rationalize it out. And so with third edition, everything is higher. But I think it's a much more mechanically difficult and an annoying game to play. Mm. Yes, I absolutely, absolutely. When so, when when you're sitting there and you're trying to kill like a kobold, uh, which you're like we had <laughs> when, uh, when, during our first venue in or, or venture out into the realm of D and D as a team as a as a group together a few years ago, we tried to take out this. I don't remember what the hell the monster was now, but it was in a it was in a cave or a dungeon or something, and it it, it nearly killed everyone. It wasn't an individual, it was a group of kobolds. That's what it was. It was just <laughs> but it was a, just a complete nightmare and it turned it went from a thing that was supposed to be a a friendship building uh, you know, romp to mm-hmm. a slog. It was just effort. And it we lost three players after that. <laughs> and not to the game. Like we lost them to their interest. They went home. They were like, "All right, well, I'm never going to play yeah. this again." That's terrible. That's yeah. a horror story to me. It like, is. Just getting bored and leaving. Yeah, that's really what I've, it was. I've had more bored players with 3rd edition than I have with any other edition. Yeah. I've, I've only played 5th edition a little. Okay. So I can't really, can't really speak to my experience with 5th edition. I only played a little bit. <laughs> it's and funny. I technically haven't played it. I've only DM'd it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I DM'd it a little, and I played it. I played it more than I DM'd it. Okay. I've DM'd a lot more than I've played. <laughs> Is. That's 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 my position. I like it more. I was I gonna like ask, which do you prefer? <laughs> when you're the dungeon master, it's always your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Be gone. Uh, you're wrong about that. You're not. You're not wrong about that. I, I like. I like playing. I like the camaraderie of it. But there's something about, especially, and and again, maybe this is the same with second edition. But with fifth edition, I found that. What I loved was that I had a storyline. I was crafting a story, but I could leave a lot of things pretty open-ended because I, well, first of all, I trusted my players, um, but the game itself let me put story first and let them be a huge part of the story-making as we went. Yeah. And that delighted me. Mm. Well, that's how it should be. And I, <laughs> it's kind of weird that it's not that way as, a, as an assumed thing. Is it so? It I don't de- know if we've... It depends on who's DMing, I think. I think it depends on it because, um, and he might be, he might listen to this at some point, but we have a friend, and I would describe him kind of as a min-maxer. Um, yeah. And he tried to DM it at one point, you know what I mean? Like, so that was very, like, we had to stick to rules, we had to do this, like, we're always trying to, you know, whatever, and I'm like, just, like, and I think it just depends on the players themselves and the DM's purpose you know what i mean like I, i'm sure there are some people who really like sticking to the rules who really like the like well no i'm gonna i get this on a technicality right you know and, and that's that's their enjoyment that's where they find the fun of it um but we've just been lucky to surround ourselves with people who do like story so yeah, they're much more obsessed with story yeah oh that's grand <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's true about third edition where it prized the mechanics of the game. They were so proud of them. Oh, oh yeah, they were. The mechanics. That it really put them forward. And, and I think it really did get in the way of trying to tell a story. Yeah. Uh, like, 
a question when you're in a combat with a, a monster, let's say you're fighting an orc, and you say, I want to trip him over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in third edition, there's a rule for that. Yes. And you, of course, you don't really want to do it unless you've got the feats. Yep. To make it. Yeah. In second edition, if I was in a, a fight, just going back to my earliest days with my old DM, Frankie G, <laughs> I'd say, I, I tripped this orc over. He'd say, okay, how? And I'd have to come up with a, a way to do it. Right. A lot of the time, it's just pure. You, you can try all this stuff. The, the more rules for things you put into the game, the more limited your players' imaginations are. You're putting them in this little box. Fourth is the worst for I don't even want to talk about fourth. <laughs> I, um... Fourth is an abomination. <laughs> it is abysmal. Now, I'm sure it works just fine as a game mechanically, and it's probably fun to play. It might well be a good game, but it is horrendous D&D. It's mm. terrible D&D. It's Ooh. not... And it's evident in the fact they abandoned all of the traditions that Fourth tried to establish. Mm. Right. I, I heard, and I have very little experience with that, but I heard they were trying desperately to tie that into a digital presence of D&D, and then they abandoned that project. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they were trying to do too many things with the edition, and nothing went yeah. through. Yeah. I recently had a flip through of the Fourth, because I'd never really looked at it. When it first came out in 2008, I remember being up at the hobby shop and they said the fourth edition's out and it's great. Mm. And they were saying how much better than third it was. And I said, well, these guys can't be right. I'm just <laughs> going to assume, assume it's rubbish. And I didn't, didn't look at it. Mm-hmm. I didn't even look at it. Like, my favorite role-playing game of all time is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition. Yes. And I went off and played that. As much as I'm an advocate for AD&D Second Edition, it's not mm-hmm. even my favorite role-playing game of all time. Really? I went off. Yeah. Oh no. It's up there. It's like second place. But it's um, I I will I will like Wolfrop Second Edition more forever. For various reasons, so it'd take a long time to explain all the little minutiae <laughs> of why why I prefer. And it's not about it being better mechanically or anything. It just happens to be that I I I love that that game i think it works extremely well mm. so it's got some problems like i'm not saying it's the holy grail of game design because it's got some of the same problems that third edition's got and that there's a lot of minutiae and specific rules for specific things you do in combat so that your, your players stop thinking mm. the worst thing third edition started was encouraging using miniatures at the table oh terrible yes I, yes I, as as soon as i put miniatures down i tried it a couple of times Imagination bubble, gone. Yes. They're that's, just hunching over the table playing a miniatures game. Then that's funny because for me, when I think of Warhammer, I that for me that's synonymous with miniatures. Oh yeah, but the RPG isn't. No, right. but like in D and and I found that all right. So the the idea of the miniature, like in a larger group, I I kind of get the idea. Sometimes you need to know, or at least that's how it was presented in three point five. But it ended up becoming arguing about it the box I was in, what I could actually see. Yes. Uh. <laughs> well, and as I understand, wiz- not to not to get into cynical territory again, but I understand Wizards has a relationship with a miniature making company, and oh. so they are working together like hand in hand with uh, upcoming editions and with storylines, mm-hmm. so they can promote and sell and and, and work with each other to get their miniatures sold and such, like and, and make them inexorably tied to the game. Yeah. They started doing miniatures in the third edition. Mm-hmm. 2003, I think. Mm-hmm. The miniatures were a big thing promoted in uh, Dragon Magazine at yeah. the time. If I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, I might have the year wrong, but... Well, but, but around that range. Um, yeah. So let's see. Uh, 
Bes- oh, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I had, a, I had a question because it was something that came up a lot when I was... I, I, I was trying to just get myself a little familiar with uh, the earlier editions of, of uh, D&D. But I noticed that there was something that people talked about a lot, which were non-weapon proficiencies and what yeah. they equated to in modern versions of it. How do you feel about them and how do you feel about what they've done with them? Mm. I think they're glorious. <laughs> they're they're a, a wonderful rule from AD&D 2nd edition. Okay. That's, that's what I'm, I'm familiar with them from. I think they're perfectly simple. They're perfectly good. The problem people seem to have with them is that a lot of them can have their own little rule. Like 3rd uh, edition had this unifying mechanic, the core mechanic, mm-hmm. they called it, of rolling your d20 against a... A uh, difficulty. What was it called a, um, a DC? Yeah, it was. It was. It was a. Di- it was a difficulty check, essentially. Yeah, a difficulty class. So, and that governed everything. Holy hell, that's boring. Yes. Like, <laughs> you, and it's terrible if you're trying to make a rule, because all of a sudden, if you want to do something like, oh, say hunting, all right. Mm-hmm. If you want to make a, a rule that governs how you hunt in the wilderness for third edition, it's got to be done by this rule mm-hmm. because everything's got to be done by this rule. Doesn't matter if you've come up with something that reflects how good hunting is, or, or really uh, is evocative of the experience of hunting. So you've got some mechanic that's a little closer. You can't do it because you have to do it by the the core mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I've got my second edition book here, and I'm going to have a look. All right. <laughs> let's see what let's see what hunting does. Because I don't remember. It's been a long a long while since I. Here we are. Do you have hunting in there? Hunting proficiencies. Hunting. No, oh, they, they oh, oh, that's right. When in wilderness settings, the character can attempt to stalk and bring down game. A proficiency <laughs> check must be made with a negative one penalty to the ability score for every non-proficient hunter in the party. So if everyone has this proficiency, there's no penalty. Oh. An ability check is easy. It's just you roll the d20 and the objective is to roll under your ability score. Oh. Yep. It's it's that simple. No problem. And if you do it, you succeed. Right. And there's no there's no other additions. It's simply you do it. You, yeah. you don't have to qualify it or anything. Right. And my understanding is there was almost a um, non-weapon proficiency for almost any or almost everything that you might encounter. encounter. Yeah, there is, there is, and you as you level up, you get more proficiency um, slots. I think they call them, and you can you can uh, add proficiencies as as you will. They separated into weapon proficiencies and non-weapon proficiencies, really. So, and those were available to everyone, correct? Yes. Which is in and of itself that's that's kind of neat because, you know, it's a it's an equalizer essentially. Where it differs. Um, oh, do you mean weapons? Because they're not available to everyone. Oh no, I meant the non-weapon ones. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mo- most, for, oh, for the most part, like every class type has a list of proficiencies that um, that only it can take. Like if you're a in oh. the the wizarding class, you can get astrology and and okay. Like there's like a, there's a general one. There's one for priests, one for rogues, one for warriors, and one for wizards. Everyone can have the general ones and. And if you're in one of the other groups, you can have those two. Okay. And some of them take a varied number of slots. Some go up to three. I think there's only one or two that require you to spend three slots. But they're very involved, like weaponsmithing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, really, that kind of became this all-encompassing skills section, where 
Instead of knowing if you could hunt or not, you had to essentially we the the DM would have to decide. Well, does that have to do with animal handling, or does that have to do with you know depending on the situation? Um, yeah, I didn't like that. Um, <laughs> what really turned me off skills is that diluted the classes a little bit. Okay. You see, class stuff is in the skills, even if it's cross-class. It mm. means any clown can get it. And what I'm referring to specifically here is stuff like um, what the thief is known for doing, like pickpocketing. Sleight of hand, I think, is a skill really cross-class for, for most classes. Um, in second edition, the only person who can find traps, can uh, pick locks and the like, is the thief. On oh, the bard can do it, kind of. Okay. They've got like a more limited list of the skills that the thief has, and I don't think... He doesn't have them all, I remember that. Mm. Right. Um, only the thief can do this. Right? They're the only ones who can hide in shadows, who can move silently. This is a special thing that the thief and only the thief can do. See, th how much that adds to simply the conceptual strength, the thematic strength, and the mechanical strength of the class. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is wonderful. Because they can't be replaced by someone else. Like, right. Not even the other rogue, the bard, can really replace them. Right, right. Well, it, it encourages uh, diversity in your party. Yes, because I have seen that too, where the party will, in later editions, like whether it be anywhere from third to fifth, um, you'll get together and everyone will be like, okay, well, I'm taking this, you take that. Right. So that yeah. you're like an unstoppable juggernaut of a team yeah. going through this campaign instead of having to actually you know potentially not be able to easily succeed at or, something or give some or give each member of the party some unique role to play or some yes. key like moment yes to have oh i in, in, i, in I agree I've, I've seen that um in the most recent campaign i i ran we had um two dwarves yes uh one was a fighter and one was a, a cleric and they ended up taking, because they were both dwarves, they were trying to work it into their, their backgrounds. Um, one was a hill dwarf, one was a mountain dwarf, so they played a lot with that. That was very fun. But because of their, their backgrounds, they ended up having a lot of like overlay in certain skills, even though they were two separate classes. Um, but it, it, I guess if I found it difficult at times to make one of them have a moment in the spotlight because they could both do very similar things. Yeah. So I could see where, where second edition, you would feel very special right. as that character. Oh, yeah. It's also easier to do well as a class. Like, the classes had minimum ability score requirements. You couldn't just walk up with any old score and be a, a, a paladin. I guess it's the most famous, mm. the most the most restricted. But um, you could be a perfectly good fighter. Its only requirement, ability score-wise, was you needed to have nine strength. Okay. And in modern D&D, 3rd edition and up, playing a fighter with 9 strength will seem absolutely absurd. Yes. <laughs> to, to play, they'll think that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a lot of them I know from experience think 17 is too low. In real I, can, I can see that. Back in the early 2000s, I played a game of 3rd edition. I went to the hobby shop. Uh, it was a completely different one back then. I, I sat down with this DM and he said, all right, well, what's your 18? And I said, wow. well, what's your 18 going to be? Everyone's got to have an 18. Right. Otherwise, you're useless. <laughs> wow. This is the thing. In second edition, just for strength, nine doesn't incur a penalty. Matter of fact, you don't get any kind of penalty until down about or five or six, I think. Okay. And when you're down that far, you're too low to be a, a warrior anyway. <laughs> so you, don't, you don't have to worry about it in that in that regard. Right. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, uh, six and seven, you get a negative one to your hit probability. It means okay. minus one to your 
and you don't get any damage adjustment at all. As, as right, as right. And all the rest that it lists is just uh, how much you can carry and what you can lift over your head, basically, and the <laughs> need to open a jammed door, that sort of thing. And you don't get a bonus to your attack roll until 17. Wow. And that's, and that's <laughs> plus one. Oh. Wow. <laughs> now, bearing in mind that 17 strength is Conan level. Yeah. <laughs> really strong. A plus of six is significant. You see what I mean by not having a modifier on your roll? Mm -hmm. yeah. It makes the modifiers special. So if you've got high strength, you get to think, wow, I get to add plus one to my roll mm. when I attack a monster, and I get to add maybe to my damage too. Right. And when you get magical weapons, that makes them special because they're one of the only things that ever adds a plus to your attack roll. Yeah. So special. Yeah, and now... magical. There's a quality to it that I really appreciate. I agree. Now it seems like, you know, as much as I do enjoy 5th edition, even in that, it, it seems like a lot of times you... you spend your moments deciding your, what your action will be and, and rolling, then trying to figure out how to make that roll work. Mm. Like, alright, how am I going to make this work? Like, let me check. Like, can I use this? Can I use that? Yeah. Is this technically this? That is very different even from our experience when we played the one game of the DC Comics RPG. Yes, well I play, okay, so um, occasionally when I do DM um, with close friends, um, I don't know if you want to call it, uh, you know, house rules or homebrewed or anything like that, but I'll play fairly fast and loose with the rules because, again, for me in those situations, all I care about is the players are having a good time and they're right. enjoying the story. And at the end of the day, it's it's a game, and I want you to have fun. So we were playing this um, DC a, adventures. Adventures it's a variant on mutants and monsters. I don't know if it's mutants well, and mutants and masterminds. That's, that's it. Right. That's it. Never played it. <laughs> well, that's and you're having a you've been having a hard time wrapping your head around the mechanics from mutants and masterminds. Yeah, I really have. I, I've had to go through several forums, reading people's explanations of them, and, and it seems like even people who know it fairly well admit it, that it's kind of it, it, it's hard to wrap your head around it because it seems to be deceptively simple. And it really it it seemingly is, and I'm no expert on it at all, but it seemingly is. It only requires to know a few numbers and a little bit of subtraction, yeah. essentially. Um, but they understand that if you're coming from a different gaming background, you're going to have a hard time with it. Um, and if you... Um, it's really you have to play it. Yes. You have to play it with someone who probably already knows how to do it to truly understand it. So I might have to go to my local gaming shop um, oh, and yeah. get someone to give me a, a, like a little run-through of it because I have a really loose idea of it. Um, but even that, like, I... You know, in in D and D, even in the third edition, in the fourth edition, in the fifth edition, you could kind of figure out how combat worked from the book, right. even if it was convoluted and it was overly uh, intricate. You could eventually ascertain what was going on. I read that D uh, the, the, the uh, I read the DC book. I still have no. I idea. can't figure it out from that book. It's weird. Sounds awful. It is. <laughs> it, it's fun for me. I playing it was more fun, I think, than than trying to. Well, get yeah, work. because in that instance, um, much of the combat, in in a sense, um, I guess, in, in a it's way, past like, well, yeah, I was gonna say like, a little bit like Thacko, It really falls on the the DM to to decide how it is accomplished. Yeah, it's or more to, just like I do this, and it's like, and well, then you roll. roll. Yeah roll a certain, like, roll above a certain number and you have succeeded in whatever you said you were going to do. In its most simplistic sense, yes. And so I think, for the players, I think that that, 
can often it's be freeing. It, it is very freeing um it puts a little more stress on you <laughs> certainly a little bit it's not bad um but but back to just to D and D. Um, do you ever feel like um, when the players are spending so much time trying to optimize characters that it essentially do, do you feel like it, it can ruin the spirit of the game, or or do you feel like having sometimes having options can also be very freeing for the player? Well. The truth is there's no one true canon way to play Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. And all of the various approaches uh, various approaches are all perfectly I guess they are as, as valid as each other. Um, but certainly uh, it it can eat into the spirit of the game when someone's trying to game the mechanics. It was certainly a lot more difficult to do in second edition. Mm. Because if you got really high stats back then it was considered a triumph and you were the toast of the town. <laughs> Right, you, you just get them. You earned you them. Had to, you had to roll them. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was something to be celebrated, and you had that character, because that game was balanced differently than it is these days as well. Third edition really did a number on balance. That's a whole mm. other thing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I've never really been in a position where I've had a player who is just trying to get whatever's advantageous and not get into the spirit of role-playing and not worry about what their character is like or how they feel or, mm. or all of these, these these different things that we generally like to embrace as role-players. Yeah. Um, it's never really happened. I had one player once who wouldn't take something because, well, it doesn't really give me any advantage. Mm. Oh. But that really just stemmed from not wanting to lose their character. Because <laughs> gotcha. It, it stemmed from valuing their character in that instance. It's not, right, I've got to beat this game, I've got to be the best. Right. I need. Uh, see, I don't, I don't, and I never have related to the obsession with trying to get high stat. Like the, the fellow who said, "Well, what's your eighteen? Everyone's right. got to have an eighteen. Yeah. Everyone's got to be equal at the table. We've got to have a chance to be, to be wonderful." That's really something that was pushed by third edition, and there's a bit of irony there because in that edition, the ability scores mattered way more. Oh yeah. And they matter way more now than they ever did when I was playing second edition. Mm-hmm. You know, they matter in a certain sense in second edition because y you can't be a paladin unless you have 17 charisma and 15 constitution. And you have to roll these by the the, the innermost rules. You have to roll these 3d6 in order. Mm -hmm. So a paladin is as rare as they're supposed to be. When you when you approach it as this is going to be my hobby for for 11 years, this this game ran for from 89 to 2000. Wow. Um. You're probably going to roll a couple of paladins, or one day you're just going to say, right, well, how about I be a paladin DM? And I'll say, yeah, okay. Or uh, just take the minimum if you don't manage the minimum, something my games master used to do. There's a couple of different ways you can do it just to have the experience. But it was made a rarefied class, and that was considered part of its balance because the paladin is arguably the most powerful of the classes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, the it, it's the hardest to play, but it's, it's the most powerful. Mm. And it's become so dilute now that it no longer exists. Mm. Right. There's a class with its name in modern D and D, but the paladin is gone. That's a that's so, that's a that's an interesting philosophy on that. Um, I mean, so is the thief. <laughs> also, it's gone. There's a rogue, but you can never again have the experience of thief. Right. Mm. Because in third edition, they started becoming really obsessed about well, what everyone's got to have something to do in combat. Yes. Right. Everyone's got to be balanced during battle. Yep. Whereas in the old editions, they say well. 
unless you're a warrior, you really shouldn't be fighting, even if you're a cleric, you know, and the cleric's fairly robust. Yes. You really shouldn't be, when the fighting starts, that's the, the warrior class's job, and there's three warrior classes in the core book. Those are fighter, paladin, and ranger. Mm-hmm. And the fighter is the best at fighting. Nothing else even comes close. <laughs> the fighter is the best class at fighting. There's no argument about that. Yep. It, it, it's the best at trading blows down and dirty with the enemy. And the ranger and the paladin have other advantages. For a start, the ranger can use two weapons with no penalty. Ah. Oh. What are you got to do now as a ranger to use two weapons? You've kind of got to build into it. So if you, yeah. you have this idea, I'm going to be dressed. I'm going to be a, a, a ranger like Drist. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to. What do I have to do? I've got to take this feet and this feet, this feet. Or in the, the modern one, I think you've got to go down this certain path. I'm not that mm-hmm. familiar with fifth. Sorry. Or I have to take this option and this option. And then by fifth level, I'll be like it. I'll only have this penalty and this penalty. Yep. Level one, second edition rangers can do it. That's just what rangers do. Right. You don't get things drip fed to you in second edition like you do. Like, for example, the paladin. The, the very famous and, and most contentious class in the game, arguably. Mm-hmm. Uh, he Most of the stuff that makes him famous, he has at level one. There's only a couple of things he gets later, like turning undead as one and um, casting the priest spells. He gets that at level nine. Right. So uh, he, he, you are in the world, born into this world, a fully developed example of your class, uh. basically. Is what I'm saying. You don't have to build into it, which is really magic. Yeah, no, I agree. I, even just bringing up the ranger, I, I was like, let me take a look at that because that's not usually a class that anybody that I we don't might, play, yeah, yeah that, that my social group really goes after. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned just being a ranger, just doing it because in fifth edition, at the second level, you get to choose a fighting style, but you can only choose one. So you have to uh. end up determining if do you want to do archery or do you want to do dual weapon fighting among a couple of other options but you won't be able to be proficient in both of them but as a ranger in in my mind's eye they should be able to do both so i completely understand where you're coming from there Hmm. second edition they can (laughs) (laughs) you're really you're making me want to play that more than fifth edition at this point (laughs) well i i think you should try it there'll be stuff you don't like Like okay anyone anyone who is thinking about giving second edition ad&d a go there's stuff you're not going to like that's fine it Mm -hmm. is old hat and it's written in an old hat way. The books aren't organized the way you're going to like them. Okay. That's it. You've just got to take it. If you want to give it a go, <laughs> you've, you've just got to accept that. Um, still, it's a fine example of D&D, which is, uh, even though it's not my favorite role-playing game, it is the greatest role-playing game. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest and most important. Yes. And I don't think it was ever better than AD&D 2nd Edition, which is why I recommend it habitually to people. <laughs> and that... I can't say it absolutely. I haven't played every edition. Right. <laughs> I, I think that they would take a lot of time to go through every edition yes. to, to truly I get wouldn't it. recommend <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I have one final question for you and that's just what's your favorite class <laughs> the bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll be specific the second edition bar there you go the other ones. <laughs> there you go that, that's fair now, let me ask you just about the bard in general because I remember from EverQuest the bard was the jack of all trades but like master of none that's it yeah that I love I played a bard for a very little time in EverQuest and I loved every minute of playing with it it was, it was yeah. so fun no one can catch you <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's very true you've got the, the speed magic yes 
Yes. Saved my life on many an occasion. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a great insight, Bard. Thank you so much for sharing your your manifesto on uh, on second edition. I loved it's it. It's not even complete. I've got extra to talk about. Yeah, right? we've got more. <laughs> no, we should do another episode of this. Absolutely, yeah. because I'm sure. Some people who are in the know about D&D knows that right now that for the very first time, Wizards of the Coast is actually trying to put out their own like app, essentially, yes. for 5th edition. Yeah. Um, I am in the beta right now. I think it's an open it's beta. 5th edition, isn't it? What did I say? 4th. Oh, 5th. Yeah. I, I, um, only, I only corrected because <laughs> thank of the you. it has to be not. Thank you. Um, for the 5th edition, um, it's an open beta right now, which is kind of fun because they're letting everybody give feedback on not only the information that's involved in the app, but also just the layout of it as a whole. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting idea. It's it, my understanding is it's not meant to replace books. Oh, they will they will have the books, but it's meant to be a supplement. Okay. Essentially, for like the on the go player. I see. Um, so I think that as that develops, I think we should definitely talk a little bit more about D and D, about the different versions, um, and just the just the overall. Like I'd love to talk one day about just the ramifications of D and D in pop culture and yeah. how much it changed mm. everything. That's a great topic. Um, oh, man. I know that at the Bard's table, no electronics are allowed. Oh! Yeah, well, it's really just to help things not become between you and your imagination. Mm. Because when you're staring at a screen, even if it's like an app that's supposed to help, they're going to bung some pictures in there, right? <laughs> I, I know this happens to me, and it, so it's going to happen to other people, is when I'm, say I'm playing a, a ranger and I've got my own internal image of what he looks like and, and, and so forth. Yeah. If I look at the ranger page on some app and there's a picture of a ranger, that's going to infect my oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. internalization of my character. I'll start picturing him as this. Um, that's a sign of a very active imagination. Mm. So it's a, it's a good sign, but it really gets... Uh, it's why I don't like miniatures, because, as I said, they just replace imagination. Mm. That's oh, I would love... I, I for something I forgot. I wish I'd talked about, but I didn't. I would love to get your response to second edition's initiative system. Mm. Oh, what? Now what I'm it? intrigued. Let's okay, let's do that, and then we'll wrap up the show. <laughs> uh, okay, because every time I mention this to people, the response is generally always a variation of "Huh? Why do we still do that?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So it is, in my opinion, the second best initiative system ever in a role-playing game, the best being the one from Judge Dredd role-playing game in 1985. Oh, they, they made... I didn't know they made a Judge Dredd role-playing game. Yeah, oh, that... Its initiative system is masterwork. There's nothing else like it. I've never seen anything like it. Wow. That's a whole other thing. Okay. 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 In Dungeons & Dragons, 2nd edition, say we were playing, and you're about to fight some orcs. Say, negotiations have broken down. Of course. You're about to be drawn. As they do. First thing in the modern game... Is that your your DM will say right? Roll initiative. Yep. And okay, that's not that's normal. That's not the first thing that happens in second edition. Oh. The first thing that happens is that because there's no surprise or anything happening, we don't have to worry about that. In this right. Session. Okay. The dungeon master decides what the orcs are going to do privately. Right. He doesn't have to write it down. He just decides. Okay. He'll stitch with it. And then the players all declare what they are going to do during the round. And quite often, when you start playing second edition, it's not long before the players start huddling. And they'll say, well, I'll do this, then you do this, then you do this. And okay. what they're actually doing is working out uh, the chances that they'll get to be able to do these things when they want. Because only at that point, after they've declared what they're going to do, is initiative rolled. Oh. 
Now, initiative is rolled for each side. So the enemy side will roll a d10 for their initiative, and the players will roll a d10 for their initiative. Okay. And what, what the players are doing and their actual initiative score is modified by the action they're taking. So if they're using... Uh, the example in the book, uh, which I really like, is the dwarf blowing his horn of blasting. <laughs> and that adds a plus three to his initiative, so it's going to take longer. Whereas if you're wielding a, a two-handed sword, I believe it's a it's weapon speed adds to your initiative. So it, it's a six or a seven, something like that. Okay. So it takes longer. So you can sit and you can sort of uh, calculate the risk, right? I'm going to go last. Um I'm probably going to go last with this, so I need to, to think about what the other players are doing and so that my attack will fit. Or if the enemy has a wizard, what you want to do is use a weapon or take an action that is fast because he'll start casting when it's not even his technically his turn. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And if you hit him before his spell is, is cast, it'll spoil the spell. Yes. So you want to be quick, all right? And in the rules, uh, in, in the actual round, everything sort of happens at once. It all goes bang and it's all resolved in the order that your initiative falls. So the slowest actions will happen last and the fastest actions will happen quick. And every spell has a casting time, which is added to your to the group's initiative score to, to um, determine what yours is. And some of them can be quite long, some are quicker than others. And it's just fascinating to see it all go down this way because you only have to declare one action right there's only one action you can do in the turn you're doing mm-hmm. one thing right what am i doing this 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 round i'm doing this one thing and um each round is assumed to go for a minute which sounds absurd to modern ears as well because they're used to six <laughs> seconds or right exactly seconds. well a round is a minute so you can walk quite a long way in a minute <laughs> or, or you can you, you can you can do quite a lot in a minute so a round of fighting is really a lot of back and forth steel on steel mm. stuff if you're going to attack that round then there's a lot of description we can get in we can depending on what happens we can really get into the descriptions on uh, uh, stuff like that it, it, it's wonderful but uh, the initiative system it it's it, I don't know it, I just love this declaring first trying to work out a plan and then find out if it worked the only awkward thing that some people well, some people find it awkward I know, uh-huh. is that you have to roll your initiative every round Oh. New initiative. Okay. Yeah. Both sides will get a new initiative. And there's a couple of variations on the initiative rules that you can just switch between at will. You don't have to pick one for the campaign. You just switch between them as they become convenient. Okay. But there's individual, so each player will roll their initiative with their ind- individual unrelated combats on the other side of the castle, for example. You you might do individual initiative there. But what, how does that sound to you? I think... There's a lot to like about that. First of all, one of the key things you said right at the end there was that you re-roll your initiative because as a person, as a player who lows roll or rolls low typically with a d20, and I'm always like, well, I'll, I'll see you guys at the other end of the turn because yes. I won't be doing anything. <laughs> I love that concept where I'm like, okay, here's my shot again. There's another chance. Yeah, I that, like, like that. I can actually do something in this fight. I love the fact that you're doing it all simultaneously because it's more real yeah. in a sense. It, it increases the, the sense of urgency. Yeah, were you in a scenario like that? Were you in a real fight? You're not going to be over time. there like, okay, I'm going to punch him in the face. All right, I failed. You punch him in the face now. Right, yeah. No, it's it gives your players more haste. Yes. And also... The point when you're actually taking your turn mm-hmm. is the same time everyone else is doing it. That's when you're declaring your actions. Mm-hmm. So you, you're not watching the other players have their go. No. Yeah. You're doing it all together. Yeah, yeah and that's that's kind of almost more of a team building 
kind of moment for for everyone. Yeah, I mean, where he kind of learns like, oh, I need, yeah. Yeah, and if you're a healer, I can imagine that puts a little more importance on what you're doing because for the most part, if you're playing a healer in any other edition, you can just wait until you know you need to to cast the spell. You're yeah. like, I'm just going to do damage until whatever. But now you got to kind of think ahead. Like, all right, well, if they're successful in this turn on hitting such player, I'm going to have to have this ready to go. Yeah. Risk management. <laughs> I, I really like that. I, I, that's, that brings a whole other level of, of interest and just... I, mean, I didn't necessarily know if it makes it more difficult. It's just more exciting. Yeah. I, it's I, different. It, there's it's a different. certain sense... Just because it's a new thing. Like, yes. Right. Same old initiative for a start. Yeah. It, having used it, it's magic. It's magic yeah. I, I, that's something I would love to try, just to, to see how that type of initiative goes. Because like I said, like when I'm a player, I, you know, I'm i the person who's like, I rolled a five and I have a plus one. So. Yep, so I'll see you at the end. Yeah. So hopefully you guys won't have killed everything. Right. Because then you don't get to do anything. And no, that, it, that it does is, happen. Yeah. If you... If with the current initiative system, if you consistently miss, you don't get to participate at all. Right. Because you have to wait until your turn comes back around, as opposed to what you're suggesting, where it's nope, everybody's trying at the same time. Yeah. Yep. Even if it doesn't work out. Yeah. You're, you're waiting for your the resolution of your action to come around. Yeah. Right. I I really like that. <laughs> yeah. It's neat. I, I think that's a lot of fun, and I and. You know, and I and I get what you're saying now. Um, as as we've been talking, I, I'm starting to get a better idea as to why you kind of wish we would go back to that. And I know I, I'm sure for wizards at this point, it's difficult for them to go to be able to roll black. To, yeah, um, and well, I wouldn't expect them to. <laughs> even if they wanted to, I'd say don't even do it. Exactly, because the environment of the game and the culture no longer exists. Right. Yeah. In which we can you know approach the game natively. And enjoy it that way. Mm -hmm. It would be it'd be some weird mutant version, <laughs> right? They, yeah, yeah, because they could never by necessity they come out with a weird version. Yeah, it's true. They could uh, never simply just reprint second edition and say this is new and you're going to enjoy it. No, they would have to do a hybrid or some kind of pilot that like includes different versions so yep. that it wouldn't alienate all players. Oh no, they would they would they would <laughs> severely update all of the material. They would update oh all of the God. art. They would update everything, everything on it. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Only ah, to find out they that it's... did reprint 2nd edition, though. Oh, did, did they? they? Yeah, a couple of years ago, they did special edition. Did... The three core books, they... Did they update all the art? No, well, <laughs> it was of the revised edition, which is just a reprinting with different organization and different art, which is... Uh, okay. That's kind of nice. Uh, did that excite you, or was that kind of like... Did it, was it a poor reprint? No, it was fine. Okay. That's great. It was, fine. it was just a reprint of the old 2nd edition, just for... I don't know why they did it, and I'm not sure what year they did that. <laughs> it's fairly recent. But that, that's that's positive, though, because anyone who's listening who is looking to get a hold of this, you might, you might have a better chance yeah, you, don't to, you don't have to go hunting. <laughs> you don't have to get in your time machine. Although I like that. I you know, As a, as a fan of old-school comics myself, and yes. as, I, you know, I grew up looking for them, hunting, going to different like, hobby shops and trying to find my sacred edition. I like the idea of being like, oh, there's something out of print. You have to go look for it. Look, I appreciate the adventure, wow. but i got to tell you, the merchants don't tend to want to bargain with you regardless of how no, high your charisma is. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there's, there's something I've got to tell you about that. I think it was a limited run. Oh, and no! If you're looking for 
Well, actually, you're not out of luck because I believe second edition books aren't that rare. Okay. And it doesn't matter if you get the 1989 print or the 1996 print. Okay. Which is the revised. It doesn't matter. It's the same game. Okay, the that's layout, great. The layout's better in the later one, but the art's better in the earlier one. Mm. Yeah, just, art really matters to me. Oh yeah, no, I I, that I know, and I and I and I completely understand. That's um just not to go too far into comics. Yeah. But for me, as much as comics are about the story, since they are uh, a medium that kind of needs both to you Work. know create this perfect story and you know just this very different this type experience. Of, yeah, exactly. Um, the art will make or break a book for me. Oh no, every question. time. Yeah, same here. There's an adage that people regurgitate as accepted wisdom, which is you can't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> Hogwash. I... I'll tell you, I go to the book exchange and I walk out with an armload of books that I bought just for their cover art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And cover art is important in books, it's important in RPGs, because the first and primary, most major thing it does is calibrates your imagination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. That's when, when you look at the second edition books, you'll see this beautiful art style by Jeff Easley or... Uh, or um, Larry Elmore, or those classic artists who worked on D&D a lot back then. Mm -hmm. And it really uh, gets your mind ready to accept an older era of art, because no one produces this kind of art anymore. No. Mm. Even though they made an effort in the fifth edition to sort of have a little bit of that painted style back. Yes. It doesn't really work, even though I, there's a lot of pictures in the fifth edition core book that I actually do really like. I you know, agree. It's, it's fairly strong, and it's a lot better than the garbage fourth edition fifth <laughs> edition wasn't great my my old dungeon master frankie he came up with a a nice short term that described the art style of third edition basically the day it came out mm. and he just he described it simply as belt 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 buckle 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 buckle, 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 buckle <laughs> chain 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 <laughs> he, he took one look at the sorcerer i think third edition book and he decided that's what the art style was. And its elaborateness and overblownness is exactly what we got That's for a yeah. long while. That's spectacular. Uh, that is absolutely, that's that's an amazing description of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I do agree with you, the art does, it puts you in a mindset. It, like, yeah. it has often drawn me to a character, to a, to a class, to a race, just based on yeah. what I see and then like what well, where the, that then takes me. It sets the tone. Yes. For me, anyway. Like, I want to, you know, kind of recreate or surpass the images that I that I see in these in these. Adjectives. Oh, absolutely. Especially when they show you um, a character who's clearly of, of a higher level. It gives you a, a goal, like, I could be that someday. Yeah. Or better. Right. And hopefully you, you will live through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it reinforces classic archetypes, too. Yeah. Yes. Which is what D&D should do. I've harped on about that. And I'm so disappointed in the 5th edition uh, Barbarian, for example. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it should look like the classic Conan, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The reason for this is because you take one look and you know Barbarian. Right. And yes. everything you need to know is already queued up in your brain and you're ready to accept the class. When, when you read the class description, it just all goes in because... And the guy there doesn't look like a barbarian. He looks like some kind of settler. He looks like Thor. He looks, like a... he, he looks very <laughs> Nordic. It looks like they're pulling from almost like Skyrim. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. But he looks like a civilized guy. It doesn't really yeah. say, ha, classic fantasy barbarian. There is no, no skin. If there's anything that D&D should always be, it's classic fantasy. Yeah. Yes. No, this guy, he, he looks like the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Like, he does not look... He, 
No, there's no muscularity. There's no. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's no. There's no muscularity. <laughs> muscularity. It's not there. No, it just looks like a guy who could, like maybe works out every couple of weeks. Like there's no. Yeah, no. He should be. His costume should be his body. I don't doubt that he's a fine warrior or anything. He looks like a warrior. Right. Yes. I'm sure he's a good guy. Yeah. But <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't evoke barbarian. He what about? No. He's very, very uh, different. Now, uh, based on our company, I, I'm just curious. What does the dwarf look like? There's a woman. She looks grand. Um, she's got a double-handed hammer, if I remember correctly. Yes, she does. Oh yeah. Which speaks very highly to a friend of ours. She she loves playing dwarves and especially ones who wield who wield hammers. Yeah, uh, <laughs> hammer maidens, if you will. <laughs> Let me make a kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's a almost. Ex- <laughs> that's almost exclusively what she likes to play. Yeah, every time. Yeah, dwarves. Amazing. <laughs> Intends to go towards the fighter side of it. Mm. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I got to say before we go, I just you know you mentioned the fact that um, you know, you encourage people to go and, and try second edition. And um, for those who've never played D and D, but maybe you've dabbled in MMOs, just know that you can always go back in D and D and play an edition. No edition that comes afterwards changes the game, so that you can't play that. And an MMO, an expansion comes out, it forever changes the game. And unless oh, the yeah. company has a legacy server or something like that, or lets you play vanilla, you can never go back. It's yeah. over. The experience you had, you'll never have again. But you can with these. You can always go back. As long as you can get the books, as long as you can get the material, you can have the experience. It's not hard to get either. <laughs> there's, even if you can't buy hard copy books, there's loads of ways you can get the Oh, yeah. 60. Yeah. Well, Bard, this has been a, stim- a stimulating, riveting conversation. I hope we can do a sequel episode sometime soon. Yes. And hopefully it will be a lot less time that, it, that will pass between episodes. I yeah. hope so. Well, I didn't get to talk about half the stuff I wanted to talk about. I know, I know. No, we'll get there. We I, have to have another know. one of these. I we pledge absolutely we will. do. Um, this feels like it's been the second edition podcast, actually, because we yeah. <laughs> paid lip service to a couple of other editions. It's mainly been me banging on about the olden days. Well, we talked about. Well, we that was that, that was kind of the plan. I think we were yeah. like, well, let's let's focus on this one, and then. Uh, and then we'll get into the others if there's time. And I think next time we'll definitely get into the I, I think that more people are more aware of everything from three and up. So yes. I think it's absolutely fair to give to... To give to its... Yeah, I guarantee you there are very few podcasts that will talk about or champion the benefits of Thacko or, <laughs> or Second Edition. There's a definite upside to it. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, from all of us here, I want to thank you for watching. And, of course, if you want to go check out everything the Bard has to offer, you can go to youtube.com slash bardicbroadcast or check the description box below this video to enjoy it. Uh, and please absorb every unboxing, every single one, even if you're not necessarily interested in uh, whatever the subject matter is, I guarantee you there is something for everyone in every episode. I, uh, I re-watch that channel every chance I get, so check it out. Mm-hmm. And, Bard, no, thank you so much. Don't make me responsible. <laughs> <laughs> and as a, a, by the way, you should also be excited to see the next episode of uh, the unboxings. Uh, the Bard has one working out soon. I'm I'm charged with reminding him to finish the video and get it out there so that everyone can enjoy. Uh, you're really... It's on its way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no fear. I won't put a date on it, but I will say it's on its way. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, thanks a lot for everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.